chapter 14, uh, just verse 8. The wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. The wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. And then to Romans chapter 12, famous passage here. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then finally to James, starting with chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good, and, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. May God bless to us these readings from his holy word. I don't often get pictures and, and visions and things like that, uh, but uh, uh, recently I had a picture. I had a picture of myself uh, kind of standing, it seemed to be a bit uh, on, a, on a hilltop, uh, not quite a mountaintop, but a bit on a hilltop. Uh, I think Karen was on my right-hand side, uh, and then on my left-hand side there were a number of different people. Now around us everything was ablaze with uh, the, the fires of war. So there was a mighty, mighty battle that was raging around us. And I perceived 
uh, that there were many people who were standing strong, and there were quite a few uh, uh, casualties in this battle. Quite a few people that had come up to the front lines that were standing on the front lines of the battle, but were falling away. But some of those were, you know, way off to my right and to my left. It's the kind of thing you perceive, but you keep your head forward because you know that the battle is raging all around you. And I sensed that there was a uh, that I was standing in this place of, of protection, almost like a, a shield about me that was protecting me from the battle that was raging. And, uh, and we weren't losing this battle, by the way. We were winning the battle, but the, the battle was raging. But at the same time, uh, in this context, I perceived quite a number of people that had come to stand up next to me or to come to stand on my left-hand side that would be there for a while and would be fighting effectively, but somehow, some way, get distracted by something that was happening, distracted by somebody that maybe had fallen, uh, distracted by uh, some kind of enticement, uh, distracted and end up kind of stepping outside of that place of protection and suddenly getting hit in the warfare and getting knocked back and, and taken out of the scenario. And this picture really caused me to reflect a lot on uh, uh, the, the 30 years or so. Actually, it's been quite, a, quite longer than 30 years. It's been probably, well, I became a Christian when I was 12, so about 41 years ago now that I, I've been uh, a Christian. And I first had the call to go into ministry when I was 13. Started engaging in spiritual warfare when I was 13. Uh, becoming aware of the reality of the demonic and everything. And I, I began to reflect, and, uh, and I'm going to tell just a, a few stories, but I, I'm going to try to make them generic enough. Uh, so please don't try to read anybody into these stories, uh, although all of them are true. I, I just, it just caused me to reflect on a number of situations. I remember one guy, and I'll, I'll mostly talk in the, in the mail uh, even though there are men and women involved in this, uh, by the way. Uh, I remember one guy, you know, quite a number of years ago, uh, who, uh, boy, became a Christian, was really, really on fire, and, uh, and he started to boast about how he could take on Satan and everything. Uh, and within a couple of years after that, he was dead. And, uh, and, and I remember uh, a number of friends who, uh, when one of our close friends uh, got involved in an affair and uh, just kind of thought, you know, this is the woman for me. And they'd met and, and uh, they ended up running off together and it really shipwrecked the faith of quite a few other people uh, as around that. And, and uh, they saw that and they saw their own backgrounds. They saw that they had come out of similar kinds of circumstances before they'd become Christians and uh, couldn't see any difference between themselves and, and how they just kind of fell out. Uh, I remember one guy who had struggled for years. I mean, struggled year after year after year with various personal issues. And we'd walked with him quite a number of years on this. And he had so many breakthroughs in his life, one after another, after another, after another. And he was just like on the edge of really receiving everything that over the, the years I'd known him, he told me that he wanted in terms of relationships and ministry and job opportunities and everything like that. And just, just as it seemed like he was about to walk in that, 
there was a high-profile Christian that had uh, announced that they were adopting a different kind of lifestyle. And, uh, and he said, oh, okay, well, yeah, I'll do that too. And just, just kind of walked away from it all. I remember a friend that I had for uh, quite a number of years. I mean, we used to talk together, and we would talk into uh, late into the nights, and we would share We'd share about our struggles. I mean, we really had a lot of heart-to-heart sharing. I, I probably would have considered him one of the best friends that, that I had uh, in that season of my life. And I, I remember one time he was sharing with me a number of years later how he had a question come into his mind. Just what seemed like a generic question, uh, not realizing that it was a plant from the enemy, a question that was inspired by a demon, and uh, not discerning it, and ended up answering the question and following the answer to that question and it ended up causing uh, uh, untold damage in the lives of people. Uh, I remember I've dealt with one person who uh, uh, became a, a leader in a prominent prayer movement and, uh, and this person had, had been saying, no, this, this prayer movement, this is what the Lord is doing in the world. This is what the Lord has going. You know, it's not the local church anymore. It's, it's you know, it's this, and we've got to be involved with this. And the local church is good, but this is where it's at. And uh, after quite a number of years, uh, the person ended up leaving the prayer movement to go back to the local church because they'd realized that they invested a lot of time in this prayer movement, but that what God was doing was right there in the local church. I've talked with quite a number of people. It's not just one people. I've talked with quite a number of people over the years who began to feel like this ministry uh, was the thing and that I need to be involved with this ministry and be doing this. And, and this is where God was at. It was exciting and it was vital. And, uh, and now it's time to leave the dead uh, organized church behind. You know, all these organized churches like City Temple with buildings and stuff. You know, that's not where God's at. God's now in this area. And, uh, and they abandoned the church and, and they pushed the church to the side and they ended up missing what God was doing in their lives. I remember another leader a number of years ago, and this is a, a global leader, uh, somebody that I highly respect and still respect quite highly, who uh, at a conference you know, said, Europe's day is done. God is done with Europe. We don't need to f- mess with Europe anymore. God's left Europe and uh, Europe is just going to keep getting ba- going from bad to worse to worse to worse. And he was wrong. He was wrong. Uh, I've had so many friends over the years who, you know, who begin to think, you know, this church stuff, it's just too much. It's just too hard. I think I need a vacation from church. I need to just kind of go out on my own and be by myself and be away from these other Christians. And, uh, and I, I recognize this many years ago so commonly that I actually developed a, a name for the disease. I call it spiritual AIDS, A-I-D-S, spiritual AIDS. Uh, and it kind of goes from apathy to isolation to deception. Uh, I've seen this time after time after time. People kind of start losing their passion. That's what apathy is all about. They lose their passion. They get tired of the grind, you know, because... You know, frankly, you know, having to stand up here every week and see your faces, I mean, that's just, it's such a, oh, no, that's terrible. I just need to make sure you're listening. I don't mean that. 
I know what you're thinking, yeah, but you don't have to stand up there and see your face all the time. At least you can be distracted by many faces. We've got to see your ugly mug. Okay, that's, so, it, you know, it's, it's equal there. Uh, and, and, you know, but people, it's, got, it's such a grind, and there's no passion there, and, and I'm having to sit next to people I don't like, and, and, and yada, 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 and they end up drawing away, and they lose their passion, and, and they, in many cases, lose their faith, shipwreck their faith, miss their destiny and time after time and and frankly this is just a taster it's really just a small taster of what I've seen over the last 30 years Uh, I couldn't even begin to go into to go into situations like a ministry leader that I knew that was one of the most influential leaders in his nation that was responsible for seeing a big shift in the church who had a powerful ministry bringing the love of God to people who all of a sudden decided that his wife of 30 years was no longer the woman for him so he needed to go off with the secretary. And I've seen this time after time after time. it's It's not even surprising anymore. When I see people fall by the side, as I've seen time after time after time, doesn't surprise me anymore. And with every situation, I feel the same sense of tragedy as I see person after person miss their calling, miss their destiny, miss their inheritance, miss what the Lord has for them. And they do, they miss this, because they get deceived. It's because of deception. You know, I've seen people get into context where they think everybody's against them and nobody loves them. It's kind of like the old story of the man and woman. You know, they get up and, and the husband says, Honey, I'm not going to go to church today. And she says, Well, you've got to go to church today. And he says, No, I don't want to go to church today. She says, Why don't you want to go to church today? He says, Well, nobody likes me there, uh, everybody hates me. Uh, it's, it's unpleasant, it's difficult for me. Why, do you, why in the world do you think I would want to go to that church? You know, why would I want to go in that environment? And she looked at him and said, well, honey, you're the pastor. You know, and we've seen this time after time after time after time. And the great tragedy of it is that it is absolutely unnecessary in 100% of the situations. 100%. There is nobody that needs to be lost to deception. But if you allow yourself to be deceived, you will step out from under the place of protection and you will become a needless casualty of war. Men, the Lord has a great heritage for each one of you in this church. I am so excited right now of of the growth of men in our church. And this is a sign of something God's doing. And each one of you have promise. Each one of you have a purpose. Each one of you have a calling for battle. Each one of you were born for battle in the Lord. Each one of you can be a world changer. 
it, it, and, and this deception happens this way too. You know, people think of something, they hear something like, I'm going to be a world changer, and they think, okay, next, uh, Theresa May is going to ring me up tomorrow and ask me to be part of her cabinet. Doesn't happen that way. Doesn't happen that way. And that's another one of the deceptions come in. Uh, in fact, as human beings, we are prone to deceiving ourselves. And the key thing about all of these situations that I've shared too, every single one of them have self-deception involved. Every single one. None of the situations that I told you about or that I've referenced or even hinted at, absolutely none of them were because people were deceived by the world, people were deceived by others in the church, or people were deceived even by the devil. Those things happen, by the way. They do happen. But every single one of these unnecessary casualties have happened because of self-deception. You know, self-deception, right now, one of the, the areas I'm really fascinated with is behavioral economics. It's a, the discipline, which is all about decision-making. And there's all kinds of things you can see, TED Talks and everything uh, like this, uh, about these areas. And as I've mentioned before, uh, people who are in behavioral economics have identified uh, over 100 biases that we naturally have as people. You know, the bias toward uh, loss aversion, that we're more motivated by what we could lose than what we would gain. You know, so in the, in the context of a church over the years, I've seen that uh, where, where we'd say to, say to people, okay, if we do this ministry, we're going to bring 100 children into the church. And somebody will come up and say, uh, excuse me, uh, what about the carpet? Because, you know, if we have 100 children in the church, they're going to mess up the carpet. Uh, and they could be loud, and they'll bring in mud and all of that. What is that? That's loss aversion. Somebody is more concerned by, about losing the carpet than gaining 100 souls. Uh, and we all do that. We all do that. Like I said, uh, uh, scientists, psychologists have identified over 100 of these biases, and they're, they're growing all the time. If you do a study of deception in the Bible... Uh, of self-deception in the Bible, you will find at least 13 different ways that, we, that the Bible tells us we deceive ourselves. There are at least 13 different ways that we deceive ourselves. By the way, that's more than the way Satan deceives us and more than the way the world deceives us. Self-deception is one of our greatest issues and it's one of the reasons that we become needless casualties of war. And it's one of the reasons that we miss some of the promises that God has for us. I can't tell you the number of times, and even, even recently with some of the relational issues and things, I, I can't tell you the number of times that I'll be in the midst of uh, a context and there'll be some bad things happening or some unpleasant experiences that I'm going through. And I focus on those unpleasant experiences rather than focus on the good that's all around me. 
And I've told you a number of stories about that in the past where I've actually had people correct me because I'll come into a meeting and I'll say, well, you know, this is bad and this is bad and this is bad. And then other people say, well, what about this and what about this and what about this and what about this? And I see that the good far outweighs the bad. It's one of the brilliant things I love about our elders now. Uh, And and for the last number of years, and Olashina had his first meeting with us yesterday, and it's very exciting. But our elders now are are getting very good at looking at what good God is doing rather than focusing on the negative. Because there's always negative, and there's always good. The key is what you focus on. And focusing, choosing to focus on the negative will often lead to deception. So we must become aware of our tendency toward self-deception as Christians. And the passage we read today, James talks about three of the biggest ways that we deceive ourselves. There are three massive ways we deceive ourselves, although this is only three of 13. Uh, Originally, I thought about preaching on all 13, but I thought you didn't want to be here till 6 o'clock today uh, to hear a sermon. So so I just thought, okay, we'll focus on on the three. You know, the the first thing James says, he's talking about being tested, you know, and he's saying, hey, don't think that God is testing you. God's not testing you. God's not tempting you. God doesn't tempt anybody, but you're tempted when you have desire come up within you and that this desire begins to entice you to do something you know you shouldn't do. And when you get that enticement and it gets stronger and stronger, if you don't deal with it, you'll end up doing sin. And how often does this happen to us? I mean, it's a big thing that I have to walk about every time, uh, think about every time I walk by the, the aisle of sweets in the supermarket. I've had to cut that out, and, and it's hard. Um, but there's other bigger ways even that, that we, we deal with this in our lives. And so James concludes this section and says, do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. God's the source of every good. And everything that's not good, that's not coming from God. Now, what is he saying here? He's saying essentially that we deceive ourselves when we fail to take personal responsibility. We deceive ourselves when we fail to take personal responsibility for our mind, for our will, for our emotions, for our actions. If you fail to take personal responsibility, you are deceiving yourself. You know, so, so if you happen to be married and, uh, and, uh, and you get really angry with your spouse and you start yelling and screaming and you have this, well, you made me do this, you've just deceived yourself. Your spouse is not responsible for your actions. And if you start to try to take responsibility for your spouse, to think, okay, I need to help you to do this that you're responsible for, you're not taking responsibility for yourself, you're taking responsibility for your spouse. And you have deceived yourself. If you start to say, well, you know, I can't get along with other people because they don't treat me well, you're deceiving yourself. If you start to say, well, I can't, I can't ever thrive in my workplace because I'm always the victim, you're deceiving yourself. You take responsibility for your mind, for your will, and for your emotions. You take responsibility. Otherwise, you are self-deceived and you will become a needless casualty of war. 
you will become a victim. You take responsibility for yourself. Now, in your emotions, some of us have very, very strong emotions. Now, as, as a child, I had exceedingly strong emotions, and I had to learn how to control myself because I still, even today, have a really, really tough temper. And I have, to, I have to work with that. And most of you would say, well, I've never seen you angry. Well, thank you, Jesus. You don't want to see me angry. I don't know if you remember that TV series, The Hulk, from back in the 1970s. You know, the, the guy that, that turns into the Hulk, you know, he says, you don't want to see me angry. Uh, and that's the way it is. And, and, but, you know, if I get angry, you know who's responsible for my anger? Me. And you know how I change my anger? I change my perspective. I I channel my anger. I focus it. I see, test what's going on. So James says, firstly, we will deceive ourselves by failing to take personal responsibility for our mind, will, and emotions. And anytime you blame somebody else for what's happened in your life, somebody else for what is going on, you are walking into deception. So don't do it. Now you know it. And the biggest thing you can do in that moment, if you see that you're doing that, step back and say, God, show me how I need to take responsibility in this situation. And if it's a situation for which you don't have responsibility, then don't step in it and try to take it because you'll deceive yourself by doing that. So that's the first thing that James says, the first big, big way. Now, he goes on down, and he's, he's talking about a number of things, and, I, and I'm not going to go through the text verse by verse uh, as I normally would, but he goes on down, and he says, hey, by the way, be doers of the word and not just hearers, and so deceive yourself. The second way that we deceive ourselves is by failing to discipline ourselves to live the faith. Failing to discipline ourselves to live the faith. In other words, as Christians, we know how to pray. You know how to read the Bible. If you don't like reading, that's okay. You know what you can do? You can buy Bible on, on, uh, I almost said cassette, showing my age. But you can buy Bible electronically and listen to it. Uh, If you don't like to carry around the book, put it on your phone. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that you can interact with the Scriptures now. We know that we can do that. How about, oh, a big one, how about worshiping together with other Christians? You know, that takes discipline. Most weeks, I don't feel like getting up on Sunday morning to come to church. Now, after I'm here and I'm worshiping the Lord, then I'm glad I'm here. But that process from 6 a.m. until 9 a.m. when I leave the house sometimes can be the longest three hours of my life when everything in me says, go back to bed. Not easy. But what do I do? I discipline myself. I figured it was either that or ask for Sundays off, and the elders weren't too keen on that idea. So, uh, uh, so you, you, know, you have certain choices there. But if we fail to discipline ourselves to do the Bible, to do what God has told us to do, to do the word that God speaks to us, we will be deceived. And we'll deceive ourselves. And I know a lot of Christians who go conference to conference and they want to hear great new teaching, they want to hear great new insights, but they never live the life. 
and I say, you give me a hundred people who are living for Jesus, and I would prefer them over a million people who are hearing what I'm preaching. Because a hundred people living for Jesus will change the world. A million people who are listening to me online but doing nothing about it, they're doing nothing more than what God said to Ezekiel, listening to somebody singing sweet love songs. It's meaningless. It's worthless. But there are a lot of people who have a lot of knowledge but don't live the life that deceive themselves. And so James says, don't do it. Don't deceive yourself with this. And he goes on a little bit later. He talks about a third big way that we deceive ourselves. He says, if anybody claims to be religious, if you claim to be a Christian, but you do not control your tongue, you do not bridle your tongue, you're deceiving your heart. You're deceiving your heart. Gosh, over the years, I can't tell you the number of people that I've known uh, that have claimed to follow Jesus Christ, but as soon as you get them alone, they do nothing but criticize. And I, I've sat, uh, had cups of tea. Actually, in the States, it's more cups of coffee. Uh, I've had cups of coffee uh, or nice lemonade. Now, that's nice on a Sunday afternoon uh, or Saturday afternoon or a weekday afternoon. I had a glass of lemonade with somebody, and they spend an hour doing nothing but talking down about every single person. I never say that to their face. But that's what they do. One person after another after another. All they do is criticize. I've been with other people, again, who claim to be Christians. All they do is complain. This ain't right, and this ain't right, and this ain't right. My kids are acting up. Uh, you know, it, sometimes it, it feels like a country and western song. You know, I lost my wife, I lost my dog, I lost my truck. Uh, isn't my life terrible? And I go, and they say that all the time. Uh, I, I've, I've been with Christians who have, have spoken out, you know, I'm not a very good Christian. I don't, I don't know how God could possibly use me. I, I, I don't know, you know, I, I, I don't read the Bible that much. I don't pray that much. I don't really like singing. You know, I, don't like, I, I just don't enjoy that kind of thing. Uh, and this happens with a lot of guys, you know. Uh, a lot of guys feel especially weak. Uh, because it seems sometimes in our society that women connect to some of this Christianity stuff much more easily than we do as men. And so they say, oh, you know, this is really for women. It's not really for me. And they go on and they go on and they go on. And you know what you're doing when you do that? In every single situation, you are deceiving yourself. And you will always believe what you say. You will always believe what you say. What you speak engages your body and your brain in such a way that it will shape your reality, actually shape your perspective on your reality. If you get up on a Sunday morning and you say, oh, the, the church is filled with people who hate me, who hate me, you know what? You come into church and you're going to find excuses to justify your negative perspective that you've been speaking out. If you say about your friend, oh, I don't know, that friend's not trustworthy, they're not reliable, uh, they're not uh, honest, they're not this or that, you know what? 
you will begin to shape your perspective and your experience and your friend could be the most reliable, trustworthy person you've ever met in your life, but you will not believe it because you've deceived yourself by speaking negatively. You have to learn how to control your tongue because if you do not, it will shape your reality. It will cause you to fall into deception. And many, many Christians have done that. They'll say things like, I'm not a world changer. Well, if you declare you're not a world changer, I'll guarantee you one thing, you won't be a world changer. If you declare that you're not a good Christian, I guarantee you, you won't step into your destiny. If you declare that God really can't love you, do you know what you're doing? You're making a declaration against God who has said in His Word, I love you. I've got plans for you. And we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves. And when we deceive ourselves, either by not taking personal responsibility for our mind, will, and emotions, or we deceive ourselves by, by not doing what we know we should be doing as Christians, when we deceive ourselves by making negative statements and negative declarations, not controlling our tongue, we will always become needless casualties of war who miss our destiny, who miss our calling, and we will become yet another person who falls by the wayside and doesn't experience the fullness of all that God has for them in Jesus Christ. So how do we deal with this? We have to learn how to discern when we're walking into deception. And how do we do that? Well, Paul tells us here in Romans chapter one, uh, chapter 12, by the way. He starts out and he says this, Present your bodies as living sacrifices, which is your acceptable worship. In other words, he's saying, go before the Lord and surrender even your body to the Lord. You know, it's an amazing thing. If you surrender your body to the Lord, guess what? Your mind, your will, and emotions will follow it. It's very, very difficult if you're, you're not feeling like worshiping and, and you're not feeling close to God, it's very, very difficult if you choose to go, God, I am going to praise you, and I'm going to honor you, and I'm going to posture myself to submit and surrender to you. You know what? It's very difficult for your mind, will, and emotions not to follow that. It will do it. Now, notice here, uh, there's no, a number of different ways to translate that spiritual act of worship or your spiritual service or your logical service uh, that word there, service, uh, when we call it a worship service, you know, that's the word from which we get this. This means it's not a worship experience. It can be a worship experience. There's nothing wrong with that. I love worship experiences where I experience the presence of God. I encounter God. He's engaging my emotions. He's speaking into my mind. Uh, I, you know, I, I feel the power of God in my body. And, and, and it feels like I could do just about anything. I love those experiences. But Paul doesn't say here, go after the experience. Paul says here, serve the Lord. Engage your body, whether you feel like it or not, whether you think you should or not, whether you want to or not, you engage. You offer your body to the Lord as an act of service to the Lord as an act of your will. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to engage. And all discernment begins with this. If you are not willing to submit yourself fully to the Lord, 
body, mind, and spirit, body, soul, and spirit, you will never be a person who can avoid deception. You'll always be subject to it. Then he goes on, and he says the second kind of dynamic here, and that is, and now, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The second way that we avoid deception is to transform our minds with truth. Transform our minds with truth. This is why we have to engage in the Bible. The Bible is true even if it doesn't meet up to your experiences. You know that. The Bible is true even when you don't feel like it. I am a son of God even when I feel like a miserable, no-good-for-nothing slave. I know that because the Bible tells me that I'm a son of God. I am a son of God if this church would choose to reject me and say, you can no longer be our minister, we don't like you anymore, do you know what? That would be a painful thing that I would absolutely hate, but it would not change my sense of sonship because this is what the Bible says. So I choose to renew my mind in truth. Do you know that 90% of the stress that we experience is caused by our perspective on the experience, not by the experience itself. And I could prove that to you if we had more time. I, I could invite old, uh, maybe Pat up here uh, or Scott up here and say, guys, you know, finish this sermon for me. And I guarantee you that their level of stress would rise to the point where, you know, uh, Pat would kind of turn a little pink there and, you know, he'd be feeling the pressures. He, you know, he's feeling it even with me talking about it. Yeah, and I know that, but if I was sitting out in his place and he was up here and he said, Rod, come and finish this, wouldn't bother me. Why? Because I've been doing this. My perspective is different. Now, if Pat said, you know, Rod, I want you to drive a taxi in London and get from Charing Cross Station uh, to Angel the fastest way possible, I guarantee you, I'd be very nervous about that. Especially if he said my eternal destiny rested on the fact whether I did it right. Now, so much of the stress we encounter are emotions. Do you know the emotions that you experience, about 80, 70, 80% of your emotions have nothing to do with the experience? Isn't that amazing? They have everything to do with your perception of the experience. Not your experience, but your perception of it. If I was walking down this aisle uh, tomorrow morning, and Olashina happened to be standing, uh, standing here, uh, just kind of looking upwards, and I walk down the aisle, and I say, Hi, Olashina, and he doesn't talk to me, he doesn't turn to me, he doesn't acknowledge me in any way, shape, or form. Now, I've got, a, I've got a choice there. I could, I could have this anger well up inside of me and say, how could this man disrespect me so? I've shown him so much love. How could he show me such disrespect? How could he be so dull of hearing? I'm so angry with him. Uh, and, and I could go on and on and on until I look and I happen to see the fact that he's got earbuds in his ears and he's worshiping the Lord and his focus isn't on Jesus. Now, what was wrong was it my experience of what happened or my perspective on the experience that determined my emotions? It was my perspective. It was my perception. And so by renewing our minds with truth, 
and continually looking at the truth, not only the truth of the word, but actually stepping back from situations and say, if somebody, if we feel angry because of an interaction with somebody, stepping back and say, you know, I'm sorry, when you said this, uh, I had this anger rise up in me. Now, don't say, I'm sorry, you made me feel angry when you said, do you know what that is? That's not you not taking responsibility for yourself and you've just deceived yourself. You've lost before you start. But say, you know, I was feeling angry. Was it your intention to say something that would be angering to me? And you know, most of the time people will say no. Sometimes they'll say yes. They'll be honest and they'll admit it. And then I say, well, yeah, actually, I was pretty upset myself. And that gives you opportunity to get to the truth, to what's really going on. So that's a key thing. And there's something that we miss to here as well. Notice what he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, Paul is talking to the Christians in Rome, the church in Rome. So, how many minds is he talking to? That's what we would think. He's talking to a lot of different individual minds. Do you know, mind in the Greek here is singular, He's talking to the church as if they were one. That's an important insight about renewing our mind with truth. We need each other to discern the truth. There is no single person that discerns the truth perfectly. We have to have one another to discern the truth. And then he says, so that you might prove what is the will of God. So that by testing, you might discern what is the will of God? So we surrender ourselves to God. We are, are, are diligent about transforming, renewing our minds with truth, letting our minds be transformed by being renewed with the truth, and that's working together to see this transformation happen. And now we've got to test what we think God is saying. We need to test what we think God's will might be. Now we try to teach four different questions that, to encourage people to do this. One, is it biblical? God will never tell you to do something that is contrary to his word. Two, does it glorify Jesus? God will never tell you to do something that brings you glory and not Jesus. Number three, what is the fruit? What could be the outcome if I do this, if I engage with this? Will it be good fruit or bad fruit? God will not have us do something that ultimately has bad fruit. And finally, what is the counsel of other mature Christians? Not people who will say and tell me what I want to hear, but people who are actually walking in the truth. And so we press in and we test what God's will is, and you test it, sometimes you're going to miss it, but if you're presenting yourself to God, if you are renewing your mind in truth, if you are resisting personal self-deception, you will stay in that place of protection and God will lead you to his will and you will learn to discern by testing what God's will is. And as we learn to discern, as we engage ourselves with God, transform our minds with truth and test to see what God's will is, we can avoid the deception that will lead to us becoming needless casualties of war. Jesus has given us the place of protection already in the cross of Christ. The cross paid for all of our sin. 
The cross has paid so that by his wounds we can all be healed. The cross has defeated the power of the world, the flesh, and the devil. The cross has done it all. Jesus Christ died on the cross. His blood shed there on the cross has given us the place of protection. Jesus has won the war so that no one need to be a needless casualty of war. Jesus has done it all for us, and through submission through Jesus Christ, we can engage in this discernment, we can avoid self-deception, and we can walk into the promise and destiny that God has for each one of us, and He does have a promise on your life, He does have a destiny for you, and He wants to make a way, and He is making a way for you to walk in it and fulfill it if you so desire Now, frankly, I am tired of people that I love becoming needless casualties of war. And I am committed that we can be a church if we are willing to walk in unity that can resist deception and ensure that everybody wins, everybody plays, Everybody shares in the spoils of victory. Everybody shares in the transformation. Everybody shares in the advance of God's kingdom. Our children grow up knowing the Lord, walking in His will, walking in His ways, and we see the world change with the glory of God in Jesus Christ. This is my commitment. This is my passion And my challenge to you is to join me in this and see Jesus Christ receive the glory he deserves. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your will. I thank you for your ways. I thank you for all the ways that you speak in us. Father God, I pray that you would reveal to us any way that we have deceived ourselves. Lord, it might be that people are against us, that people don't like us, that you don't like us, that uh, we've committed the unforgivable sin, uh, that we have lost your will, that we have spoiled the destiny you have for us, that we can't be effective followers of Jesus. Uh, There are so many ways, Lord God, we deceive ourselves. I pray that you would show us what we have done, how we have done it. Lord, I pray for my friends here in this place, and I pray that none of them would become a needless casualty of war. Father, I am tired of seeing people that I love fall to the side, go on to live nice lives, but lives that really don't count for the kingdom any longer because they've stepped out of their trust. They've stepped out of that place of protection. They've stepped out because of self-deception. Open our eyes to see and open our hearts to love more and more and more deeply. We praise you, we honor you, worship and adore you through Jesus Christ our Lord.